The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, so good morning, good morning again. So today I'm continuing on this theme of these letters, a story of letters that Mara is writing to the leaders of his armies. He has 10 armies, and these are set in contemporary times. These letters were written from, by um, Ajahn Punadamo of the Arrow River Forest Hermitage in northern Ontario, Canada. And so they're kind of a whimsical, but they have a little bit of bite also, these letters, and in particular, the letter I'm going to be talking about today. But before I go into that, we might just a reminder, who is Mara? And Mara is this character that uh, shows up uh, the Buddha to be when he's sitting underneath the Bodhi tree and has made this commitment that he's going to become awakened. And before awakening, he's the Buddha to be is visited by Mara, who is accompanied by 10 armies. So there's a number of different versions of this story of uh, the Buddha's awakening, but uh, I'm just focusing on this one and this character, Mara. And then, as I've said before, I'd like to emphasize that uh, in this tradition, Mara is not this demon that wants people to go to hell or anything like that. More Mara to encourage complacency. So he doesn't care if we have tons of sensual pleasures. In fact, he would prefer that, that we are having such a fantastic time with our life that we don't even consider practicing to finding a way towards greater freedom. So the story of Mara versus the Buddha is a story of complacency versus commitment to practice. It's not a story of good versus evil. I just want to emphasize that Mara is perfectly happy if we are having a fantastic life. And so we might ask, well, how can we use these stories, these things that you're sharing, Diana? What relevance do they have us for our practice? There's a number of them. And one is that it can help us recognize our common humanity. These stories are applicable to all of us. And so when we find something that this letters, one that I'm about to share, is uh, resonates with us, we can recognize, oh, everybody experiences this. It's not just me. And there's a way that there can be this lightening of the load when we realize, oh, yeah, this is part of the human experience. And not only does it maybe lighten our load, it also helps us to have compassion for others recognize, oh yeah, others have these same difficulties too. And they may be showing up in a particular way because they're experiencing these difficulties. Okay, so with that as an introduction to these letters, today I'd like to talk about this letter that Mara is writing to one of his armies, the Armies of Cowardice. And this one has a little bit of a, um, I don't know, a little bite to it. At least it did for me when I was writing, uh, reading this. And so I'm, again, I'm excerpting this um, Ajahn Punadam 
Noah has written. The letters are longer, but I'm just excerpting their, them for this. So here is Mara writing to the leader of the army of cowardice. My sixth army, you have a special place in the task of keeping beings in a state of bondage. You weaken the beings whom you attack and render them vulnerable to my terrible aspect. I prefer to charm and delight, but I will tolerate no opposition. And those few who fail to be seduced by my charm must be terrorized into submission. Physical cowardice is useful in its place, but it is the spiritual and moral type of cowardice that is the most suitable for our purposes. Beings must be cajoled into clutching at a sense of security. This is the trick we must play. Of course, you and I know there's no security in this realm and all beings are subject to this awful realities of birth, sickness, old age, and death. But no matter, the dream of security is a hopeless one, but it is powerful. Beings everywhere are afraid to ask, to, I'm sorry, are afraid to risk what they have and can be seduced to this spiritual impotence by that fear. So encourage beings often not to take risks. Because if they risk, they may grow. And if they grow, they may awaken. And then they will be out of their clutches. To be sure, it takes great courage to plunge into the emptiness. And this we can undermine. This is, after all, the golden age of cowardice. We can make, we can encourage them to make a virtue of their cowardice. Call it prudence, call it responsibility. And with that, they will get up every morning, put on their hats and take the subway to their dull grind of a job and carefully plan for their retirement. And by that time, they'll be so beaten down that they will slide easily and thoughtlessly the rest of the way to the grave while never escaping our clutches. Wow, right? Reading this, it kind of feels, uh, it's very uncomfortable to read this. At least it is for me, this idea that golden age of cowardice and that we have to take risks. Yeah, so in this letter to the army of cowardice is pointing to how this, we need some courage. We need some courage in our lives and some courage in our practice. We might say courage is this capacity to face fear. Because it's true that as long as beings have something to lose, as long as we are exposed to risk and uncertainty, that fear is a part of the human experience. There's no getting away from it. And even though we long for this security, this wish to not have any fear, the truth is that humans are vulnerable. And so we will always have a little bit of fear. This is sometimes a really difficult pill to swallow, but there's also a way in which it's helpful to align with the reality of what it means to be a human. 
And so this stereotypical idea of courage is this hero who stands up to this beast. And we might even say that we have this in this story of the Buddha standing up to Mara, who has these 10 armies. And some versions of the story have these armies as 10 different types of beasts. So the Mara didn't want Buddha to awaken. So he brought his army to attack him. But the Buddha stayed and practiced and became awakened despite these threats and despite the attacks. And we can too. So again, I don't want to like wash over this idea that humans, you know, that don't have any fear and we shouldn't. Instead, we need a little bit of courage because no matter how confident or brave we are or how many advantages we might have, risk is an essential component of our life as we know it. And we're all aware of this accident, disease, embarrassment, humiliation, loss, failure, not to mention old age, sickness, and death. But maybe I'd like to add on to this also that there's this courage that we need to grow. Sometimes this courage to expand, this courage to change, to feel joy, to experience the beauty, to love. Love the world, to love ourselves in spite of all the ways our lives are endangered, in spite of all the risks that being this human existence brings to us. Some everyday courage is needed. Not right? One of the core teachings is about the truth of suffering and to part the first noble truth, right? There is suffering and it takes some courage to recognize this suffering. Obvious suffering, the way that our lives are at risk and our experiences are ever-changing and can't be reliable, but also the really subtle suffering, the subtle unreliabilities, the subtle ways in which we really want something to be completely stable where we can finally relax. Like, oh, okay, I made it. But this subtle suffering, and maybe it's not so subtle sometimes, this recognition, oh, we can't have like this spiritual retirement. So it takes courage to do something other than this habitual way of turning away from the suffering, but to acknowledge it and to treat ourselves with kindness and care and to bring our wisdom to the way that we work with this suffering and work with the difficulties, but in a way that's appropriate for us to turn towards them and to not turn away which we so often do. I know I do. So this courage to be with the suffering. And so how do we develop this courage? Well, we often come to meditation practice thinking that it will lessen the difficulties that we have and that we'll gain some wisdom and gain some new understandings. And maybe we'll even have some cool meditative experiences. But for all the reasons that we choose to meditate, practicing with courage is probably not something that was on the top of our list. 
And yet, practicing with courage is a big part of this practice. Maybe sometimes it's under the radar, but it is what's happening. The courage to face things about ourselves that maybe we don't want to face, that are difficult. The courage to face things one more time that we've seen countless times before, but to look again, to look again. And and the Buddhist texts don't really have anything specific to help us with courage, but there is a connection between courage and trust. So is there a way in which we can connect with something bigger than ourselves? Taking the refuges doing metta practice, doing any devotional practices that feels comfortable for you. And then maybe I'll end with something that Brene Brown writes in her book, The Gifts of Imperfection. Brene Brown writes, courage is a habit. You get it by doing courageous acts. It's like you learn to swim by swimming. You learn courage, couraging. And so with that, I leave you with this letter from Mara to his army of cowardice, an encouragement, (laughs) encouragement for us to find the courage in a way that's appropriate for us, honoring and respecting our experience, honoring and respecting where we are in our life trajectory, in our life story. We don't have to jump into the most difficult, but is there a way that we can meet some of the difficulties as best we can? You learn courage by couraging.